0: Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. Megan Doherty and myself are back for another season of Picard. In this series, it's Picard season three, which will be the final season of this great television series. In this series, we will go through each episode detailing the synopsis, taking a look at some of our favorite scenes and discussing general themes and looking at Easter eggs. I know you'll enjoy because that's what heroes do, the card season three. Episode four, no-win scenario. In this episode, Vadik, who is a changeling, contacts her superior and is ordered to pursue the Titan at all cost. Doing so in the nebula requires disengagement of the portal technology, so she and her ship are at risk. Within only a few hours of power remaining, the Titan on the Titan, Riker admits Picard was right and suggests he spends his last moment bonding with Jack. In the holodeck, Picard and Jack tell each other of some of their adventures, but they are joined by Shaw, who bitterly recounts his experience as a Starfleet engineer in the Battle of Wolf 359 where Picard was assimilated by the Borg and became Lucutus of Borg and led the attack on the Federation. Riker, Beverly Crusher, and Picard form a risky plan to use an energy pulse from the nebula to recharge the ship's systems. Shaw and Seven help them succeed, and Seven identifies and kills the Changeling imposter who released the gas. We heard about back in episode three. The Titan damages the strike on their way out of the nebula, now with many jellyfish-like space creatures. As they warp away, Picard realizes that he briefly met Jack five years earlier and inadvertently dismissed his attempt at a connection. Alone, Jack has vivid hallucinations of a destroyed world and a voice saying, Find me. So, Megan, if episode three was one big Easter egg, how do you improve on that? You have episode four.
1: With puns. <laughs>
0: <laughs> There's, I would say start with what you love the most, but I loved it all. So let's just say everything.
1: I agree. It was all great. Personal favorite to Resigo. Uh, that was, <laughs> I think, both an excellent, excellent bit of wordplay and a real warming up of Shaw, which I appreciated. I guess, yeah, my favorite part of this episode is that we get to know more about Shaw, why he is the way he is, and and but he's not such a bad guy after all. And there is one other thing. I wrote this down. And I should have said this very, very first thing. Tom, you called it. You called it so big. I think it was in the last season we were discussing about Wolf 359 being at the center of absolutely everything. So you've been proven right. My hat is off to you. Well done. <laughs>
0: Uh, and it was absolutely, and we got such further explanation of why that mm-hmm. one event, uh, all Star Trek hinges on it. And it's not simply they figured out a way to defeat the Borg, it is everyone who was involved in that battle, and probably everyone who is alive, was traumatized by it in some way. And the backstory of Shaw. Um, and what he, how he survived that, and the lifeboat that someone put him on, as randomly as chance could have, uh, he probably thinks every day is a great day to be alive. And we learned that there were eleven thousand deaths at Wolf Three Five Nine of of the Federation, and we've we've touched on from time to time the impact that had on Cisco because he lost his wife mm-hmm. uh at Wolf three five nine and, and frankly he never forgave Captain Picard for that. But the way Shaw described it, not only was Shaw traumatized because of his incredible survivors guilt, but he blames Picard for it. Mm-hmm. And so it made me think, how many others in the Federation blame Picard for that? And Good question. How did that, you know, Picard was the leader of the reaching out to the Romulans and not that they didn't destroy the Romulans, but he he tried to help them after they had been destroyed. And it made me think, was that him trying to make up for what he had done? Or we've always said what was done to him at Wolf 359, Mm -hmm. but Shaw said, no, no, it's what you did to us when you were Lucutus of Borg. And I'm not sure hates the right word, but there was an insidiousness in Shaw's remarks that really drove home to me um, what a traumatic event that was, not only for the survivors, probably for the Federation. And it was just an incredibly powerful scene in the bar. And perhaps. Um we should set this whole scene up. Uh it's happens at 10 Ford in a holodeck and there are students or cadets rather who are fawning over Picard and Shaw's there and Shaw said, well, you know there's another side to him too. And we'll get to the rest of that scene a little bit, but that I can't tell you how significant that was for me and it's put a whole new light on not only Star Trek going forward, but and characters like Shaw going forward, but even Picard after he went to the Federation and became an admiral. Um, so, yeah, it was really significant for me.
1: Yeah, I agree. A, a big moment for me was what Shaw said right after he kind of had it out, and he finally, and it, it did have the sense of you know this is something he's been waiting to say for so long. But then you know to everyone, all the the other the crew members who were in. The bar around them and he's like um my apologies asshole became a substitute for charm at some point and it, it, that just it gave me such an in like it showed such an interesting self-awareness that he has like he knows how he's being perceived and he either doesn't care or can't do anything about it but yeah I think I think you know whatever thinking about things he's done it's interesting cuz he's he's so plainly putting the blame you know on one person instead of these bigger concepts and, you know, rightly or wrongly, um, kind of the, the awareness he's got of how he behaves, contrasted with the aware, like where he's putting blame, I thought was really fascinating as a character, but I found he's tremendously humanized in this episode. I like him a lot more. Um, uh, yeah, I think, I think deep down he hides it, but I think he might be a really good guy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> You've said that several times. You re- yeah. you believe. I you believe,
1: believe. I believe. I think if he had been, you know, on the Enterprise instead of in a random cruiser, he'd have been a great member of the team.
0: So do you want to take up the other part of this bar scene now, or do you want to hold that to later?
1: Oh, let's let's just jump into it. Let's uh, let's talk about the elephant in the room.
0: Okay. <laughs> well, I'll set it up, then I'll let you run with it. Turns out Jack is there. Mm-hmm. And one of the cadets asks Picard, "You know, you've sacrificed a lot for what you've achieved. Um, but you miss not having a family." And he says, "Star, you know, the Star Trek, or, or rather, the Federation is my family." And Jack is at the bar and hears that, and that for Jack was a seminal moment of his never wanting to see meet or hear the name, Jean-Luc Picard. And I thought about that scene a lot because it is incredibly powerful. The pain you see in Jack's face is so palpable. It's fabulous acting, and I can't Mm -hmm. emphasize enough how fabulous it was in a nonverbal way. But... At that point, was that unfair to lay that on Picard because he doesn't know who Jack is and he doesn't know he has a son and he doesn't know what he has missed. Um, It it frankly reminded me of lots of relationships I've had where one person thought they communicated something and the other person, i.e. Tom, never heard it. (laughs) Whether because, you know, I'm deaf, whether because I didn't want to hear it, whether because I'm a boy and can't hear it, I don't know. But that lack of communication, I thought a lot about that and was that fair. And it probably was not fair for Picard, but equally right was how Jack felt Mm -hmm. so that they both could be right. And the consequences were catastrophic for both of them, even though they were both right and neither one was wrong. So, but it, it, I just can't overemphasize the power. And that scene was, what, 30 seconds?
1: Yeah, I, 60 I thought it seconds? a little bit differently. I thought it was interesting how they spread out kind of those moments throughout the episode, too. So you've got right. the very opening at the beginning, and it's five years in the past, and you've got Picard uh, kind of gamely showing off for the students, maybe enjoying the attention a little bit. And then at the a end, lot. you find out there's, uh, there's you know, random strange boy in a hoodie at the back asking that final question, do you, do you want the family? Uh, and you know hearing from the person he plainly knows to be his father that uh, no there was no place for you in my life. My life's great without you in it. There's nothing missing for me at all. And I think also remembering at the time Jack would have been what 15, 16, it's not not the the peak of emotional ma- maturity, right? So it's going to be hard to have empathy for that from a person who you would hope, you know, felt a lack, felt that there was a space you could potentially fill in in their life. So I thought it was really interesting how he started to then kind of wall himself off, and it's probably where that kind of sarcastic walls that he's built up started to form, and that that sort of charming I-don't-care-about-anything attitude is just kind of hiding the pain of a 15-year-old boy whose daddy didn't want him. (laughs) Like, I say that lightly, but it it is tremendously emotionally impactful. Uh, So I thought it was great for both of them. Uh, And and just, yeah, Picard had no idea what he was missing out on, Uh, and and I guess Jack just didn't really understand that Picard didn't know and just assumed Picard didn't want. Uh, and that, yeah, it hurt my heart a little.
0: And, and thats uh, I agree with everything you've said because it's absolutely fair. And that's when I tried to communicate, you know, they both may have been right. Yeah. And But the consequences were just uh, devastating for both. That whole, I mean, the Shaw the and we we touched on it but we really didn't even go into just the adulation these cadets had for Picard and I saw a side of Picard where he enjoyed that way too much uh way too much aphrodisiac it, it can be a powerful aphrodisiac <laughs> and um you, you have to temper that as a leader because mm-hmm. you always have to be self-aware uh as a leader even when you're being adored and, and talking to others. But there was a, um, one line in there that I, I had to visit with you about because there was a reference to a peoples or a species called the Herogens. And the Herogens were in Voyager. And one of the cadets said, did you ask Janeway for advice? first, I thought, well, Megan's going to love that (laughs) because I love that. And, you know, we've heard Janeway's name, obviously, a few times throughout the Picard series, but I feel like we're getting, we're giving more uh, to Voyager and to put Janeway on the Pantheon where Picard would go to her for advice, I absolutely love. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Not that she's... Not the captain, and not that she's not seen in the Pantheon, but we rarely hear, Did oh, did you go to Janeway for advice? Because You know, yeah,
1: she's not the fandom's favorite. That's not a surprise.
0: <laughs> you know, she was only in the Delta Quadrant for seven years, and, you know, by herself, but no, no big deal, you know. And so I just love that. Did you ask Janeway for advice? And it made me realize that she and the entire Voyager crew are a source of knowledge That no one else in Federation has, simply because, once again, Delta Quadrant, seven years. (laughs) (laughs) So I really like that. Um, There was one other reference in that bar scene, and this one went back to, and we're sorry, we're deeping, deeping, diving, deep diving into Easter eggs of Tamarians, and the Tamarians spoke in metaphors. And there was an entire <laughs> TNG episode that is really beloved where um, Picard figures out how to communicate with them. So there was a reference to them as well. Um, so Riker admits that his strategy didn't work. So he goes back to Picard. What did you see in all Wasn't of that?
1: I that a moment of relief? I was just like, oh, thank goodness. They're back together. <laughs> <laughs> I was not ready for that drama to be extended.
0: <laughs> so, what did you see in episode four that that intrigued you so much?
1: Okay, uh, let's talk a little bit about the the ones I got with the the Shaw and Seven relationship and how they ultimately ensnared the changeling, which was great. And then uh, Vadic and the big boss of Vadic. What's going mm. on there? Uh, so where, where, where would you like to start?
0: Well, um, let's go back to Shaw and Seven. Because you're right, that was a huge uh, sort of evolution of those characters. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, gr- I now agree with you. Shaw is evolving. <laughs> well, and Seven,
1: he, he had his moment. You know, he got to say the thing he's probably been imagining saying for decades. Uh, And he got to say it now. It's out of his system. And he's hurt. And his team is in trouble. His ship is in peril. And then Picard calls him a dipshit from Chicago. And now he's talking the same language. And they can be friends and get along.
0: (laughs) It's all good now.
1: I I thought that was was so charming, the way it worked. And then how um, I love Seven and Jack getting out of being confined to quarters uh, with a simple and effective punch to the face. <laughs> and Shaw also just kind of being like, okay, let's just let's just roll with things as they're going and I will, you know, hack the nacelles and, and we will set a trap for the changeling. And, and giving Seven the advice, too, to find the changeling initially. Find the bucket, find the residue. You know, he, he was so much more on board uh, than he had ever been. I just, it was uh, yeah, really starting to like the guy.
0: So we had some pretty good um, also rapprochement between Picard and, and Riker, and they agree mm-hmm. on a new strategy. Riker sees that running away is not going to improve the situation. But I guess we need to go back to Vidik and her boss.
1: What was that? That was weird and gross and awesome. <laughs> so the boss was, I guess, summoned into a meeting by Vedic cutting off her hand and it becoming a horrifying floating face, providing instructions that absolutely has to be obeyed. At, at, I can only assume the cost of, of one's very existence. So if a new big bad is being introduced, it seems like a really good one, and I'm very excited to learn more.
0: <laughs> so I've studied military history a lot, and Defend of the Last Man is something that is a well-known trope. From mm-hmm. Texas, So, of course, the Alamo is our seminal event happening 180 years ago that we still talk about it as if it was yesterday. 300 Spartans, whatever it may be. I had not fully appreciated the military discipline that Vatik was under. I had thought this was sort of a pirate ship.
1: Well, because and she was so cackling and, and deliciously evil, but no very much under orders. It was a very interesting reveal.
0: And that I was... I was somewhat disconcerted when I thought at that point she was going to have to sacrifice herself, her crew, and her ship to get whatever they were trying to get, which we think or thought was Jack. Maybe it's something different. So that that was a really interesting scene as well.
1: It makes me think mm-hmm. big punishment for failure coming. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's not going to be pretty.
0: Failure is not an option. Um, the name of this episode is The No-Win Scenario. And of course that refers to Kobayashi Maru. So, you know, right out of the bat, you know you're gonna have a great episode when it's named that. So I thought that was great. Um,
1: oh, I, I talked I loved about that callback when they were kind of finally defeating Vatic Ship by hurling an asteroid at them exactly as a ship had been hurled at them earlier. That was satisfying. That that was that was Riker's back.
0: <laughs> so um, There were lots of um, tiny little Easter eggs Mm -hmm. in this. In the scene in 10 Ford, for instance, there was a model of the Enterprise. Mm -hmm. There was a picture of Guinan and Picard. Uh, There was a uniform of an Andorian. So those were always cool to see. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: There was, as you said, discussion of the, the Changeling bucket. So what to look for. Uh, I thought that was a great...
1: Was a little bit of Odo when he was demonstrating the bucket, too. It was yes. uh, Odo in his bucket.
0: <laughs> Odo in his bucket. But the one, I have to say, I'm going to always think the Shaw scene was the most powerful for me in this episode about Wolf 359. But 1B was at the end when the new life forms appeared. Oh. And they sort of look like jellyfish. But... I immediately I went to Farpoint Station. Mm -hmm. uh, And that was the first episode of TNG. They were still, you know, they're getting their feet wet on that entire series. And many people think, including me, it didn't work as well as it could have. But the, not the creation of a life form, but seeing the creation of a new life form brought awe and wonder in a way that it did now what? Thirty-five years ago, mm-hmm. people like me, and uh, they, that's what we saw in this scene. And I just was mesmerized was by the new life forms coming out of the nebula.
1: I thought uh, it was interesting. They, they were, I thought they looked like like space squids, and it felt yep. a little a little Doctor Whoian to me because like, they've got the the space whales that have kind of come up in a few Doctor Who instances, and it, it just yeah, really cool that that tying a connection between the deep sea and outer space is always really really elegant.
0: So, what, are there any cookies left that you wanted to bring up?
1: Well, I just mostly wanted to bring up the, uh, kind of the, the final scene where we left this on, we got a little bit more detail about what's up with Jack. Um, so he's washing his face and he's having a vision about, and it's a voice saying, find me, come find me. And it doesn't look as necessarily Borg related this time, but it had a similar, almost kind of floating ooziness to Vadik's big boss bad guy. Uh, so I'm, um, that's that's where I really left off was, what's going to happen next? And I had to force myself to stop watching because I'm trying to watch them fresh for these episodes. <laughs> so I'm excited to pick it up again.
0: Yeah, um, I have to admit I I didn't see the Borg references in episode three. I didn't see them in four.
1: Go back check them uh, again. You're going to see the Borg references in. Genesis. Well, I will now. Yeah, yeah.
0: but. It's clear Jack is not simply a troubled young man. No. There's something else going on organically with him. Yeah. That either someone is trying to take over his body, he has powers he can't begin to conceive of, or even something else. And that there is
1: naturally born human borg hybrid. It could be. Could be.
0: Could be. But the um, and these visions are terrifying. They're terrifying even to watch on television.
1: Yeah, very, very scary stuff.
0: (laughs) So I was trying to think about. I've only had, I don't know, less than five dreams over my lifetime where I was truly that terrified. Mm -hmm. Whether I was, you know, I'm like being burned to death, or you know, falling down a bottomless pit, or something like that. But it really was at that level of terror that I felt like he was feeling, and. Sometimes when you think you're losing your mind, you know it, and um, that's a very scary thing.
1: I think that's an excellent ending note.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, on that note, I'm Tom Fox.
1: (laughs) And I'm Megan Doherty. See you next time.
0: This is Tom Fox again. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Award Winning, because that's what heroes do. I hope you'll join Megan and I again next week when we take up episode three. Also, if you could subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you listen to it, we would greatly appreciate it. Because That's What Heroes Do is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network.